Hey everyone, welcome back to the Beyond the Art podcast. Once again, I'm here with my co-host Yash. We also have a special guest on today. We have Matt Issa. Matt, how are you doing today, man? Pretty good, pretty good. It's good to be seen, good to be heard, good to be with you guys. Yeah, good day. Yeah, we have Matt on today to talk about his recent Immediate Impact series. He's talked about a bunch of different rookies incoming this year. And just he just dived into how these guys can be contributors from day one, hence the name Immediate Impacts. So we can start with this, Matt. What was, you would say, a few of the players that really stood out to you as ones that you think are really going to have a significant impact on their team from day one? Okay, so the one one guy who a lot of my like draft buddies put on my radar, they're really high on him. But I'm second-guessing this now that I saw. I was listening to Anthony Slater talk about um, his place in the team, and I'm sure you guys are very familiar with this team too. But I think Brendan Pajemski, man, I, I like his game. I think he's really similar to Dante DiVincenzo in a lot of ways. And I feel like them losing DiVincenzo opens up like a need for a guy who does Dante DiVincenzo-esque things. So I feel like he could be like somebody who gets some run early on. Again, like another thing about this series that's because I do another thing with young players, marches, reading about rookies month. When what's different about my focus with that series and this one is for this one, I'm looking at guys who like they may be able to be like a net neutral in year one, which is like something that rookies don't usually do. So they can be like a neutral player. Whereas with the March's reading month, March's reading about rookies month, we're talking more about like the ceiling, the overarching kind of career trajectory I'm foreseeing for these guys. But uh, so just want to keep that in mind when I'm talking about he could, Brent Pajewski can be a really good day one kind of guy. I'm not saying like, He's going to be like one of the best players in this draft. I'm just, I just think that his style, his skill set, where he's at, I think might portend well to that. But yeah. Another guy is Jame Jaquez. I think it's funny, like how much like people have kind of like just like conceded that he's not going to be with the Heat anymore. They're kind of like, oh yeah, like he's, it's guaranteed like he's going to be in the Portland trade. You know, Damian Lillard's with the Heat. And that's like how they analyze this team is like life without Jame. But, um, there, I mean, there's a good chance that the trade never happens. There's still a good chance of that. And they're going to need, if it doesn't happen, they're going to need guys like Jaime Jaquez to really step up this year if they're to replicate what happened last season. And I really like his game. He's got like a, he's, it's very, it's funky. He plays a little bit like Jay Butler, to be honest. He's a very good mid-range player. He's got incredible footwork. Oh, he's strong. He's, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this, but like he, he's one of the only guys who like, he like forces an advantage. So he'll be driving and like, there'll be like a second defender kind of near him and he'll like drive towards that second defender and like push him into the path with the guy guarding him and then make that simple pass. Like it's very like kind of basic and like old school looking, but it is still like an advantage created in an open shot. That's something Jimmy Butler is infamous for. I think Hawkins has a really good motor. He's a very good rebounder. And he plays big, which is something the Heat need is guys who like play with more size. So I could see him. Those are two guys off the top of my head just to get things started. I could see having immediate impacts again. And also notice these are older guys. It's very hard to come in the league and be good as a 19-year-old. But uh, yeah. Yeah, speaking on Jaime, like I, I had the chance to read your breakdown of him and what you think he could produce and. You did a really great job, I feel like, bringing the parallels between what he brings and heat culture. I think that mm-hmm. sort of comparison was seamless. Again, you talk about the size, the physicality, mainly like rebounding. And again, I think, which deserves a lot more coverage in its own right, as well as help defense. And you touched on it just now with 
the how he could bring it offensively. But do you think is there any way that he could funnel possessions for him offensively in ways that aren't spot up plays? Just thinking about year one, of course, just again bringing that size and physicality over to the offensive end. Do you think there's any way he could bring that over to the NBA level in year one? Yeah, I could see him being like a good cutter. He's good at good at sealing, good at like getting cross badges early, like early in possessions, kind of like in the little Aaron Gordon kind of role, picking on all the low hanging fruit is like a play finisher. I could see that. I could see him. I want to see how good of an isolation scorer he really is at the NBA level. I'm curious because he has like really nice footwork, um, really nice footwork. His touch is okay. But he's got really nice footwork. He's very strong. It's hard to push him off a spot. So I could see him being like a pick and roll ball handler in bench lineups. So, yeah, I definitely, uh, I could see him, I could see him being an immediate impact. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Especially in Miami, everybody's going to get a chance to touch the ball and do their thing. That's yeah, good to hear that. Awesome. Yeah. It also feels like Miami needs another guy that can create some sort of initial advantage for the offense. Because right now, it just sometimes it feels, especially with the role guys, they just, they're more playing off of Jimmy Butler, coming off screens for, to like a Duncan Robinson, like Max Struess, who was on the team last year. They're trying to get open threes, but. They don't really have another guy that can play within the arc on top of Jimmy Butler. So I think Jaime actually does. He does provide that. I want to say something. This is an aside, but just put a pin in this. I think Josh Richardson was an incredibly good signing. Oh, yeah. I think he's better than anybody. I think he's better than Struess, better than Vincent. Um, I can't remember who the third guy they lost this offseason was, but I, I really like that. I think he, I don't know, I just think he's really good and he's going to have a really good year for them this year. But that's, that's a different story for a different day. Yeah. Talking a bit about Pajemski, too, I think when me and Yashir at Summer League, I think we really liked just his ability to play that warrior style, like 0.5 second ball. Really did understand that concept really well. And I think that's going to, because that, that was an issue they ran into with like Wiseman and Moses Moody, where they weren't as familiar, I guess, or they weren't comfortable playing that style. Whereas Pajemski is, he can make good decisions out of it. Of course, there's going to be some turnovers year one, stuff like that. But like you said, they do need him to need cheap contributors with just with the contracts they have on their team. And he's probably going to have to take a step up. The shootings probably is going to need to really pop for him, I think, to get sustained minutes throughout the regular season. That would be my guess. Because he didn't shoot it the best in summer league. In college, I'm not exactly sure. He's um, knocked down. I think it's like, I saw a stat, like 40, like 40. 45%. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. pretty good. He's so. actually, he's a very good shooter. Just I question the versatility of his shooting, but yeah, he's, he's a very good shooter. Yeah. Yash, you have anything to add for these two guys? Yeah, yeah. Obviously, don't want to take away too much of your spotlight from your article. Of course, it's going to come out, all the information. I see Pajemski's fit offensively, for sure, but especially this year, Warriors are my team, and they've gone smaller this year, especially with Chris Paul and some sort of question marks with their back line. So I was wondering... Is Pajemski someone that could hold his own defensively and in what kind of way? Because I think that's also going to be a barrier along with what he can bring offensively to him getting consistent minutes his rookie year. Yeah, and I think that's like part of the like reason I was frustrated with how like dismissive some people have been about yeah. his like his prospects for playing this year because like he can size up, he plays big, he's strong, he's very like technically sound screen navigator both on and off the ball, which is huge for the NBA. He's got very nice technique. I don't know what the technical term is exactly, but he uses this little technique where he keeps his, uh, he keeps the, it depends on the side, but he'll keep one arm. He'll use one arm to hook himself around the screener while using the other arm to, it, it's like an L shape, a curving yep. L kind of, but he uses the other arm to stay attached to the ball handler or the person coming off the screen if it's an off ball screen. It's how they coach it. 
when he's very good at it. Pretty much every single time he's involved in a screening action, you see him do that. So I think he's a really good defender and he's a unique defender in that he can play bigger than he is. I don't think he's like another guy who's going to be coming out like Cason Wallace, who's got real all defensive team guard potential. If it hits, I don't think he's that kind of guy. I just think he's, like I said, he's Dante DiVincenzo, where he can be like above average guard defender. So I think he fits well stylistically, especially if they're going to play these smaller lineups, Paul, Paul and Stephen Curry and Clay. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is no official term, but I think Mark Chung on Twitter, I think he coined it the swim move, that kind of motion of wrapping around the screen. Yeah. But again, your attention to detail, I think that's why I especially love about your article is just yeah. you pay attention to little things and I learn a lot in the process. So shout out. Yeah, I think we can move on to some of the other players that you talked about. I think the highest rated guy you talked about or highest drafted guy was Brandon Miller with the Hornets. What was the case for him that you made for him being an immediate impact guy? The Hornets, I feel like they have a lot of the same vibes around them that the Kings did um, going into last season where they're like, they have this point guard who's like young. He's never been to the playoffs before. People are kind of like, very, it's very polarizing how people view LaMelo Ball right now, which I think is similar to De'Aaron Fox this time last year. On paper, they're supposed to be playing fast. They're going to play fast. They have nice offensive pieces. Um, and I think Miller can kind of slot in in that little Keegan Murray role where, again, he's just like a, he's a big dude. He's long. That's always like a benefit. He can shoot. He's a very good shooter. He can do it off the catch. He can do it off pull-ups. I've seen him come off screens. But so I could see him being like this little outlet, run and gun, transition finisher for LaMelo Ball. And another cool thing about Brandon Miller, which I thought was very interesting, he's actually really good at being in that Magic Johnson transition initiator role where he's like pushing the pace off of Mr. or Meg and he's facilitating because I think he has, he's got good, like he, he can make good passes, good passing reads. I think the thing that's slowing him down right now as a playmaker is he's, and it's a biological thing. When you're that long, it's hard to have a tight handle. You know what I mean? Because you're just so long. And it's like you're. It's like Kevin Durant. Why does Kevin Durant always have like high turnover rates? Why is it always easy to gap Kevin Durant in the paint and shrink the floor on him? It's because he's so long. There's so much to poke at. He's not like a little guy who can maneuver his way in there like Allen Iverson. So I think the thing that's gonna that's slowing down Brandon Miller's playmaking is his inability to have a tight handle when he's dealing with traffic. But... In transition, there is no traffic. It's a highway at 6 o'clock in the morning. Nobody's on it. And so then he can survey the floor and make passes. So he can initiate in transition and he can finish in transition. I think that the Hornets are going to play fast. He can be like that, like a new age kind of James Worthy in their little showtime. And then on defense, like I said, he's like a long guy. And that always just, that always helps. I'm sure he'll have his lapses, but yeah, that's where I'm at with him. I'm just trying to think in terms of pecking order for this roster. Like, is he going to be, I, I mean, he might not be a starter from day one. Probably going to be Gordon Hayward. That's Miles what I'm hearing. Starting. Yeah. Hornets media is probably going to be Gordon Hayward. I don't know. I wonder how much juice Gordon Hayward has left. Because I feel like when he plays, he's like pretty solid. He's still like a yeah. nice body. He can handle the ball, pass score. But yeah, I wonder. Yeah. I don't know. They have a fun team. Mark Williams, dude. That guy's yeah. awesome, man. Everybody loves Mark Williams. So they have a yeah. fun team. And I could see him being like the Keegan Murray of this season, basically. You're talking about Brandon Miller? Yeah. Yeah, and then obviously, you know, with his ability to shoot. For me, just what kind of stood out watching him, like, 
he just he can shoot the ball, but he also is more than comfortable putting the ball on the floor, attacking, being aggressive. Even though it didn't always end up how he had the best result, like he's he's showing that he's like willing, he's willing to do those things. Like you said, the handle him just being so long is a little bit of an issue. But you saw during summer league, he made some pretty pretty good passes where I thought like, oh, like you know, he's seeing at least like another level of defense. He's not just complete tunnel vision every time he yeah, drives. I think he so. has good vision. I think he has good vision. Yeah. It's, it's literally just like the the kind of the allostatic load he's dealing with. He's more worried about when he's like drilling through traffic. It's more the first thought is I need to maintain the basketball. It's like your survival instinct. Like you need to do like the core things to survive first before you can worry about those exterior things. You're gonna you're gonna worry about eating food first before reading philosophy as like a human being, right? Yeah. So yeah. What was that word you just used? Allosthenic? Like allosthetic load. What does yeah, that mean? It's like your it's like stress load is like oh, okay. overloaded. Yeah, it's a it's like a very common like psychology term. Oh, okay. I'm a, I was a psych major in my past life, and um, yeah, so it's like a it's a term they use like when somebody's got like a high allosthetic load. It means like they're just like overloaded mentally, overstimulated. But yeah, I see. Start so having your stuff every day. Yeah, <laughs> and I think the thing with Miller is they actually might need him to do more of that creation because again you think of sacramento that parallels honestly wasn't something i thought of before but it makes sense but i think yeah the thing with them is yeah they had De'Aaron fox but they also had guys like sabonis and malik monk who took on additional creation loads throughout the season helped bolster that historic offense and so i think some of that creation stuff is you're going to need to see out of miller and while if they want to be good and again while we saw like flashes of that in summer league which was pleasantly surprising to me. I think something Charlotte should do is, if they wanted to create a, at a re respectable level as rookie years, figure out the spacing around him. Because as you mentioned, Matt, he's he might be, he, right now he's vulnerable to tight spaces where he can't really exactly navigate through them, which makes sense given his age and his profile. So I think there, there could be ways that Charlotte could figure out spacing around him, say like empty corner pick and rolls or pick and rolls with a shooter like Rogier in the corner. Just again, to suck in that gravity and give him extra space to work with, where he could create, get some scoring, get to the basket, or get to his mid range out of pick and roll. And I'm excited to see what that sort of can produce from his rookie year. Yeah. I just hope they tailor those bench units around him. And I think that also means maybe not playing James Book Knight as the backup point guard, just because we saw in Summer League how that kind of went. And that team was, yeah, there was just not good basketball. But like that, with the Summer League Hornets. Do you guys have anything to add for Brandon Miller? Okay. All right. I guess we can talk about these two shooters together since they both bring three points. I think we know who, Matt, you probably know who we're talking about, Gritty Dick and Jordan Hawkins. They're both shooters, but they also both bring other, other skill sets as well, different physical traits, stuff like that. So we can start, I think Jordan Hawkins is one of the first guys you did. So we can start with him. How do you just like his fit overall with the Pelicans? I like, I think it's like a really good, fit with the Pelicans they need like I was uh, the first thing that kind of came to my mind when I was watching him was when uh, the Pelicans played the Milwaukee Bucks like early in the season when the Pelicans were with Williamson people were like man this seems like a really fun really good basketball team and then the Bucks like were able to really stymie Williamson by gapping and loading up the box on him and really packing the paint and forcing their shooters or lack thereof shooters to beat them. And Hawkins, he could shoot. He's definitely a very good shooter. He can he's got a very versatile shot profile. Probably the best 
like movement shooter I've studied so far in terms of like ability to curl off screens at like top speed and make, make nice, nice little shots that way. So I like that. He's got good gravity. You draw two to the ball, like the way you see like Clay Thompson do it in the NBA. Reggie Miller once upon a time. He's got good gravity. The thing is about Hawkins is that worries me. So I think, again, in terms of his specific field with the Pelicans, I like that because he can be a play finisher for Zion Williamson. The thing that worries me, as opposed to somebody like Grady Dick, is I don't like see too much outside of that that really pops for me right now. He attacks closeouts, but at this point, he's got a slighter build, and he's not very he's not very good at absorbing contact. He doesn't really like to finish with his left hand. On defense, he's he's like wiry, but he's not. He doesn't have like incredible length. He's not a very disruptive defender. He's 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 very light on his feet, so I think they'll be able to stay in front of faster guys. But worry about he's very like handsy when he defends people, which kind of reminds me like Duncan Robinson a little bit. So the reason I'm like pointing out his flaws and well, to worry about him is because I think after watching him and Grady Dick, I feel better about Grady Dick especially right out of the gates because he's a little more filled out. He's longer. I think he's about like three inches longer than him, like wingspan wise or something like that. He's got this insanely quick shooting release. Like it's like super speed, like probably the between the two of them is probably the faster one. He commands more. So it's like weird because I think Hawkins is better at running off of a screen, but Grady Dick defenses, at least the college level were giving him more attention. Like he had some serious gravity, like, the lengths teams were going to, there was this one play I clipped. It was like, so when you, when you put two to the ball, right, on a pick and roll, you have the guy on the weak side corner is supposed to be the guy who rotates over to tag that roller until the guy who's guarding the roller has recovered, right? Grady Dick was the guy on the weak side corner. So Texas Tech, I think it was his team was playing him. They decided we're not going to have this guy rotate over. We're going to have the guy who's on like the weak side slot rotate over and tag him, which is just atypical. And plus, it's an easier pass for the ball handler to make because there's less distance to cover. So that's why I usually don't want to give that up. But that's what they're doing because they're like, I'd rather this than the chance that ball gets to the weak side corner and Grady Dick gets to shoot it. You know what I mean? That's, that's something you don't really see that often, especially with a college guy. But yeah, he's like an insane shooter. He's got, he plays so crazy. Like he plays like he was shot out of a cannon. Like it, another thing I really like about Dick as opposed to Hawkins, and this might be like one of those times where like those little anecdotal off the court nuggets is actually very insightful. Like you guys, I'm sure are well aware, like Grady Dick's a goofy guy, right? Like you saw that little video of him, whatever, when he got drafted, that was like circulating of him doing all those like wacky dances and stuff that, but it's like a, so it's a sign that he doesn't, he does. He's very confident, and I don't think he's afraid to fail or embarrass himself. And you could see it on the court. Like, he's constantly – he plays very aggressive. He's trying new things. Like, he'll finish with his offhand. hand. He'll attack the rim. He'll drive all the way to the rim. He's a little bit stronger than Jordan Hawkins. I think that's part of that's the size. He's got a very high motor. He's pretty good at, like, crashing the offensive glass on cuts, which shows he's a good cutter. Um, on defense, he's very positionally aware. Again, he's active. He has some faults, physical limitations, not very vertical. But yeah, I just, I don't know. I like, so like long-term, I like Dick more than, I like Grady. I like Grady more than Hawkins. I think immediate impact wise, I also, so I think they can both make an immediate impact, especially because they're like, they slot in really nicely to a role. 
But honestly, I now that I'm talking myself through this, I feel like Hawkins might have the case for being the better immediate impactor because I can see like more visibly like what his role as an immediate impactor is going to be, which is, okay, Zion drives to the rim a lot, kicks it to my friend Jordan Hawkins, and Jordan Hawkins hits a lot of threes and he just survives on defense. Whereas Grady Dick, it's like, I could see that similar thing happen, but Pascal Siakam's not Zion Williamson in that regard. And then I also don't know what's going to happen with Toronto this year, if they're going to be third Toronto Raptors that we know right now. But either way, I think both could be immediate impactors, hence their inclusion in the series. Yeah, I was going to say team context is definitely something to keep mm-hmm. into account for when we're talking about mm-hmm. media impact. And when I read your, your Grady Dick piece, I think what I was trying to envisioning his role in Toronto, and you think about it now, Fred Van Vliet's gone. That's a guy that's top 10 in touches when the season last year. And you envision where the offense goes, especially with Grady Dick on the floor. Obviously, as you mentioned, he's at a pick and roll. He's not someone you funnel possessions to. He just is not there yet in that level of scoring. But I think a way he could get offense is out of handoffs. Like, again, weaponizing that shooting which I looked into the numbers. He surprisingly just wasn't a great shooter coming off of screens in college or and even in summer league, apparently. The, he had three possessions where he shot out of screens or threes out of three screens. And Matthew, apparently all of those were in the one game we went to. And so I was curious, do you think that knockdown shooting that we saw out of spot-ups as a play finisher, do you think that translates over to movement shooting? coming off of screens or handoffs? And do you think that he could also do a little more inside the arc coming off of those kind of sequences, like straight line drives? Talking about Grady Dick? Yeah, Grady Dick. Yeah. Yeah, I think I also as like a cl- driver closeouts, I mean, definitely, I think he did that pretty well at Kansas. Again, like I said, the thing that's cool about him is he's like, he just plays, he plays fast. He plays hard. He's not afraid to fail. The movement shooting, I feel like, I wonder like how much of that's just, he's got like a kind of like a stiffer, body i wonder like how i'm not a biomechanics guy by any means but i wonder like how fluid that motion kind of looks i didn't i don't remember him taking that many like movement shooting possessions i was wondering if that was more of a something that was unique to kansas it was a lot of him just like you said spot up transition trailer threes some like some split actions some like him lifting from the corner to the wing he has like this i think one of the main appeals about him is he's got like the super quick like no dip three-point shot and like when it's not, so it's not a catch and shoot. He he has a, so like when he would shoot like a pull up, he really need to like load up, it would dip pretty drastically. So like I wonder if maybe it's just hard for him to get those shots off because he needs more of a dip on those non like standstill catch and shoots. I don't know. I'm just I'm hypothesizing here. I really can't can't really. I don't have a definitive answer. If I had definitive answers about what's going to happen in the future, I probably wouldn't be doing article series. I probably <laughs> I don't know run the world (laughs) no i think those are definitely good thoughts though and you even when talking about year one and moving forward like that's i think that's the wonder of nba shooting development it's no wonder where a prospect comes in there's always a potential to get better so it'll be exciting to see how that progresses throughout the season because i think if he's getting minutes in especially in toronto's context he's gonna have end up getting a role in the offense at some point even if it's in a small capacity and so i think things like that are important to think about but good thoughts yeah I think for the off the screen handoff stuff, like it sounds like the sample size just wasn't really there. And like he's a good enough shooter to where I'm like, I'm not too worried that he's not going to be able to make those type of movement shots. I think he'll be all right. It's just part of Kansas's offense. Just he didn't really get those looks. In terms of who I would bet on to 
to have a better immediate impact season. I would actually, I think I'd go Grady just because of looking at the rotation. I think rotation and role. So clearly, like, I think both teams, they do need shooting. But I think Toronto really, they really, after losing Fred Dancy, they need someone in that starting position that can shoot the ball. I think Grady could end up being a starter from day one just because he brings that skill no one else really has in that roster. Whereas Hawkins, like, yes, they don't have a movement shooter, but they do have, they do have Trey Murphy, even though they're different types of shooters. And then also, I think just with the Pelicans this year, they're trying to prove they can be one of those top teams in the West. And I don't know if Hawkins slots into that because they have a lot of depth on that team, just with all the draft picks they've accumulated over the past past few seasons, like Herb Jones, Jose Alvarado, Trey Murphy. I think Dyson Daniels can get some run this year. So I think it might be a little bit harder if, for Hawkins to crack that rotation, ideally. So I think I would lean a little bit more towards Grady. All right, we can go to Garris Walker then. I guess he was probably the next. Who got picked first, Walker or Grady Dick? Walker. Walker was Walker's okay, so yeah, he's the seventh or eighth. Like, yeah, Yeah. Now we can start with this once again. Like how do you think he's gonna fit next year with the the Pacers? Yeah, man, he's like a really uh, just an amusing player. I don't know. It's just like such a like he like defies like archetypes. I feel like he's so big, but he moves like a ballerina. And he also has, he has like great footwork for a guy. Like you wouldn't expect that. He has like a, not as good as Hame Hakez, but like he's got like really nice footwork. He would take like all these ISO mid-range jumpers. It was just fun. Like you wouldn't expect that like from a player like him. Like he, so he's built like Isaiah Stewart. And I think like in some ways he's very similar to Isaiah Stewart where they're like both like these like really big, like kind of the broad looking built Antonio Davis from the nineties type guys, but they can both switch dance on the perimeter where I like Walker more is I just think there's more like to his offensive game. He's much better passer than Isaiah Stewart. He's better at attacking closeouts, at least at this point. I know Stewart's improved in that area, but when he was Jiggers Walker's he wasn't as good. Again, he's got this really nice footwork mid-range package. He's not like a very good mid-range shooter per se, but he's got a nice like skeleton to it. He's just, he's a very fun, weird, uh, dynamic player i also think like he's very he's got like a very synergistic defensive like skill set to miles turner where it's like miles turner's like you know it's big body prototypical kind of drop shot blocking defender whereas jairus walker can, can switch out on the perimeter he can play that way but he can also if turner gets switched out on the perimeter he can be on the back line so it's very cool it's it's similar to what with the cleveland cavaliers and evan mobley and jared allen but different they also like the two of them are better shooters than those two so that, that's going to be like really fun I, I like him i think he's a fun player i'm excited to watch him play next season with indiana yeah i think jairus walker despite being like what six eight six nine i think mm -hmm. he still fits that archetype of being able to play big and also play small in certain mm -hmm. contexts even though he may not be like again towering seven foot like mobley the appeal with him that again, it starts on the defensive side. You're able to pack the paint with Walker coming over weak side and whatnot. But I think I'm curious, like his offensive skill set. Yeah, he could do five stuff, like many have mentioned, where he can, if there's a blitz of a pick and roll, he's in the middle of the floor, he's going to make the right play. But I also think, like you mentioned, the attacking closeouts, he can also play out of the perimeter a little bit, which again will depend on where his shooting's at and where it's going to be throughout his career. But I, I think the, yeah, that, they, that versatility is, is something I'm curious to see. 
And I hope that Indiana doesn't pencil him in as a five or as a small ball five because there's a lot to go with it. And it's, as you mentioned, like Isaiah Stewart in Detroit, where they, they tried running him at the four to some varied success. I'm curious to see how that goes. And I love that comparison you made. I don't actually like him that much, the small ball five, to be honest. I think he struggles defending like guys that are taller than him. I don't think he's got he uh, one thing about him I've noticed is he when he tries to block shots he tries to block them low as they're coming out of the guy's hands and I wonder how much of that could be like he can't get up that high or I saw he had a nice like a really nice vertical but I don't he just didn't jump out to me as like a great leaper like a function a great functional leaper again I'm not like a biomechanics guy so this is just like my own eyes and I also don't have the largest frame of reference I don't scout too many college guys before this season but I saw, I don't know how much I like him in the small off. I really, like I said, I really like him at the four. And I think that even though he's got like a really slow jumper, I think he could eventually become like a good enough shooter where like you can have him play with like at the four next to a five who might not be able to shoot as well as Miles Turner. But uh, yeah, that's just my thought on it. Yeah. He has some touch indicators, right? Isaiah Stewart, yeah, or yeah. excuse me, chairs. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you, Matt. When I was watching some Jarius Walker film, I didn't really see him pop as like a vertical leaper type guy. It makes sense that he does like blocking shots low. Yeah, I don't know. I just wasn't as high on his defense. Just I guess like athletically, just like him rotating over and completely blowing up a play and being like a true, like a really big force down there that you just feel every possession. Like I didn't always get that with him. I think a lot of his value is going to come from like the switching aspect like you said, and then some rim protection. So we'll see how that ends up translating out. But I just think he, he's a pretty high feel. So he's going to be able to contribute in that way, just not as much with his like athleticism, even though he might he, just, he might have it. It's just he doesn't, like you said, he might not be like a functional, as functional of a leaper or something like that. We're talking about his offensive game. He's going to really need to shoot the ball, especially for this team, just with how they want to play spread pick and roll with Halber, and he's spraying out to the perimeter. I think some like did he had a he had a little like, thumb issue or something like that or he had some sort of arm issue. Did you guys? I thought I heard something that he did, which Not is why his shooting was a little, a little off. But anyways, his shooting is just gonna need to. He's gonna be able to make. He has to make threes at a consistent level in order for him, I think, to get really get true minutes. Yeah. So yeah, he had a minor surgery to remove loose bodies on his right elbow in July. So that might have been part of, I guess, his shooting struggles during summer league but yeah i think there's one more guy that we need to talk about derek lively so he's the only big on this list and as we all know it's hard for centers to be contributors from day one just how hard it is to play that position at the nba level with all the different responsibilities knowing all these coverages hand like doing handoffs even like dribble handoffs like those that's sometimes hard for bigs with the mavericks they are still looking for that real rim threat at the five. Dwight Powell used to be that. He's a bit older now, had the Achilles tear. They just got, they just waved JaVale McGee, stretched his contracts. There's a good chance Lively next year, he might have a, he might have a shot at breaking that rotation. So Matt, what was the case you made for Lively being an immediate contributor? Yeah, so I just want to, something I didn't really get to say about this like immediate impact series, like not all these guys are going to live up to the immediate impact thing. Like it just maybe four or five of them will be like immediate impactors. Maybe like one of them will be like a top like 75, top 100 player in the league, whatever. It's just if they were to contribute immediately, like this is what they could do for that team. 
And like with Lively, the thing I'm going to have, I'm going to keep a close eye on him and this Dallas Mavericks team because I'm very intrigued by the Dallas Mavericks this year. But I feel like if it works, like if he can be like an immediate impact day one, like that's huge for the Mavericks because they need a guy like this, like that, that classic drop big man who can play like 20, 25 minutes a game and really shore up the interior, especially if they can play him next to Luka and Kyrie in their more offensively slanted lineups. So yeah, basically what you'd get if it were to work out immediate impact day one is that, like we said, like the prototypical drop big man, which includes rim protection, drop coverage, rim running. He's very good at running up and down the court in transitions, kind of like a gazelle. But uh, yeah, so he's just like one of those guys where it's like, if I can, if I get 85% of Walker Kessler like last year from him, that's with what the Mavericks have put together like this offseason. That's, I don't know, man, those, Maver- those Dallas Mavericks, man. I could see him in the Western Conference Finals. I was telling Matthew this, man. He's not on our boat for whatever reason. <laughs> but I think, yeah, that's part of what where Dallas is at, where they're figuring out the pieces around the edges. And I, I love the case he made for Lively. And I think, at, at least in my mind, the dimension that he could add, along with the defense, it would be potentially like play finishing. Because you think of Dwight Powell, Maxi Kleba, the fives that they've ran in recent years. They're, they're, they bring different sides, or at least offensively, they might be like spot of guys or out of pick and roll. They might be more passer or more leaning towards passing the ball when they see the help. But when you think of Lively, 7-1, seven, 7-7 seven, seven wingspan, I think what excites me is in those blitz situations you talked about in the article, he can really be a play finisher against help. Like He could look to score, which could in turn add another dimension to that Mavericks offense. So I want to ask you, like, where do you think his ability to put the ball on the floor is in year one and do you think he's someone that could score on guys when he has a, like a, a head of steam with his potential touch of the basket or his size where do you think that sort of aspect of his game is in his rookie year honestly man like the, maybe it was just the way they played basketball that season at duke you play for duke right right my, my, yeah. my brain's not feeling me. okay i'll just make sure, make sure <laughs> but uh, yeah duke I, it was really just they. I think they only put they were only really putting him in specifically in like those rim running situations. I don't. I didn't. There was nothing really that stood out to me too much from him as a passer. There was I, there was like a couple plays where I saw like he had he had an open guy and he didn't. It was like a non short roll situation, just like static situations. He was like a standstill and I saw he missed a pass you know, a couple times, but no, I, there was it didn't really leave much of an impression on me. The big thing I will say. My buddy, Chip Jones, he actually mentioned this when he was on a podcast, was that maybe nobody in college basketball improved as much as Derek Lively did in that one year. So if that's the case, and I'm sure like he's going to be introduced to a lot of short roll situations, playing next to one Luka Doncic and a Kyrie Irving as well. So I think with more repetitions, I could foresee him being a more viable option with those short roles and learning to make those decisions. Gotcha. Yeah. I just think with the, where the Mavericks are at right now, he doesn't have that familiarity yet playing in those short role situations. And if a team sees like Lively setting the screen, I think they're probably going to double or play really aggressive and force Lively to do something. And I don't know. <laughs> we'll see how much Jason Kidd will live with some maybe botched possessions by him that are inevitably going to come early in the season. He might, they might just end up turning back to what they've been doing. Dwight Powell starting, Maxi Kleba, backup five, something like that. And they have Rashawn Holmes now, another veteran center that he's shown that he could be close to a starting level guy. So they have some depth there. Yeah, and this is an aside, but the Chicago Bulls used Derrick Jones Jr. last year as a small ball five quite a bit. 
So that's also another little pitch they have. But again, that's like part of the intrigue with this Dallas Mavericks team. Where like, well, I can get, see, in my little hypothetical, Powell's kind of getting, if Derek Lively becomes like the immediate impactor here, if the prophecy comes true, Powell probably gets pushed out. Because I feel like, obviously, Powell has this veteran guile, and he's a much better screener than Derek Lively is right now. Derek Lively would slip pretty much like every ball screen. And I don't know if that was like a Duke instruction, but like he hardly ever really made any significant contact on screens. But so if the prophecy were to come true, it would probably mean that Powell's kind of getting pushed out and Lively's kind of getting those 20, 25 minutes of action. Yeah. Yeah. I think we can move some to more, some big picture questions just with these players that you had. Were there any other players that you considered writing about for this series that you just never, just never really, I guess you just never ended up writing about them? Yeah, I mean... We still have a, like a handful more. I think we have four more coming out. I know I have one in a couple of days. We got a couple more of them coming out. So there's still going to be some more. The one thing I wanted to say is I'm only doing guys who played in the NCAA. We have tracking data at Opt Analyst through AutoStats. So our, our tracking data company we work with. I actually am not for sure familiar about the dynamics of the whole relationship. But yeah, that's where we get our tracking from. It's in-house. And they, I think they only have the NCAA stuff. And honestly, like on my end, I don't feel comfortable enough, like with the overall context of these other leagues, like in terms of the, what's going like how like basketball is played internationally or on the, I can't remember what the name of the team that Thompson Twins play for is, but uh, so I wouldn't want to write about any of the non NCAA guys. I just wouldn't trust kind of my ability to parse out all that little context. So obviously that means I can't write about Victor, can't write about Scoot. Can't write about the Thompson twins. So I would have loved to talk about them for the series. Another thing that I'm I decided to do was not do more than one guy per college basketball team, just so I'm not watching a bunch of one college basketball team. Like for example, like there's I know there's a lot of really talented guys on Arkansas, but I'd already scouted Ricky Council this summer pretty heavily for something else I was doing. So I, I didn't I don't know, I haven't been as eager to like revisit them and watch Anthony Black and Nick Smith. And Jordan Walsh, who I hear, by the way, Jordan Walsh is very good. People oh, that's excited really... about him. Yeah. But so basically that remove, like I know I can only do one of the Michigan guys. So I'm still trying to decide I want to do Bumpkin or Jet Howard. But yes, yeah, so that's basically where my regrets lie in terms of that. Yeah. I think it works out with this series because you could write about Victor. But I also think it's really interesting to look at some of these later round guys, mm-hmm. later lottery that... Maybe they're on a higher level team. I think those guys have, a, have a, I think that kind of fits, I think the spirit of what you're trying to go for this series. Yeah. Not to cut you off, but like, look at like, who are like, like, let's, let's real quick. Who are like the immediate impactors from 2022's draft? Like, yeah. Kessler, Keegan Murray, Jalen Williams. I think Andrew Nemhart probably looks more like yeah. an immediate impactor on a better team. So those four, but look, at, they're not like, other than Keegan Murray, were these guys really like top five picks? No, not usually, yeah. Yeah, because usually those higher picture, they're on probably not on a great team. More, They have more upside at the time than just immediate value right away. Yash, you have any questions asked for big picture stuff? Yeah, sure. First and foremost, I was just curious, is this your first time like doing full-fledged scouting at the college level? Oh, I've scouted like a couple players here. Like I, I was actually, because I, I live in Michigan, so I went to about six Eastern Michigan games this past Awesome. Springs. I scouted Imani Bates pretty heavily. I've scouted, I've scouted Ricky Council. I did a little bit. I do a little bit of 
scouting consulting for an agency. So I scouted some of their guys a little bit. But yeah, so this is my first time like really digging into the college game though like that. So it's been fun. I, obviously, there's a little bit of a learning curve. I've had to ask some people I trust about certain intricacies of the college game that I should probably be familiar with. But yeah, I mean, I watched college basketball my entire life. I, like I know like that it's a sport and it exists and I'm familiar <laughs> with some of the lore and all the conferences, but yeah, it's been fun. Yeah, awesome. And now looking at the lower level, I'm not a big scouting guy, so I was curious. Do you, where do you see the differences or primary differences from your perspective between the college and NBA game? It's spacing. It's sorry, cut you off. It's spacing. Yeah, yeah spacing good. is rough, man. It's <laughs> so that's like another thing. It's okay. So one thing, you know, when you watch a guy, right, you see him make a drive. You you have to ask yourself. So say like a guy, you know, he has like a middle pick and roll, drives to the rim, takes a floater and misses it. Okay, yeah, he did that. But what else was available to him on that play? Was he did a defender come over and help, and his teammate was wide open and he didn't hit him, or was it that? Like his teammates were all in the lane with him and there was literally nowhere else to go with the ball except for that floater. You know what I mean? So it's like, you have to focus on things like that and start to ask yourself like, okay, it's more about like, how often is this guy making the right decision? You know what I mean? What about him? Like his game? So that like in the NBA, like when the spacing is there, will he make right decisions when that time comes? You know what I mean? So it's like more about thinking about that stuff. Um, with that, I think that's the biggest one. I also, and this is cool, is just like the variability and all the like play styles. It's not like everybody's trying to do what Golden State did two years ago, like how it is in the NBA. It's just, you never like, there's so many like crazy wacky offenses and defensive concepts. So it's cool, it's fun in that regard. But yeah, awesome. That feels like I gotta tap into these games at some point. Yeah. yeah, college facing that. That's rough. Like people, <laughs> yeah, it's rough. Like you just see defenses completely loading up weak side in the paint and then they throw the skip, but they throw it to the skip. That guy's not a great three-point shooter. And then it's, yeah, it's pretty tough. It's pretty tough to score. Even in the scoring numbers, like the scoring numbers are just, it's nothing close mm-hmm. to what the NBA is. It's a shorter game, but it's hard. It's even harder to score like double digits in college for like an individual player. We can go through this really quick exercise, hopefully, and then we can we can wrap up. We'll just go, I think we can go one by one and then I know it is vague, but maybe the guy you can like, you would bet on or not bet on for having an immediate impact this year. So we'll just go one by one really quickly. I think we all can just say who would we bet on, who would we not bet on for having a immediate, Im- immediate impact season, whatever that criteria is. Is that good with you, Matt? Yeah. Okay. All right. So we'll go first. Greedy Dick. I go bet on for having an immediate impact season. I think so as well. Like he's, oh, sorry about that. You yeah, you can go ahead, Matt. Yeah, no, you first, man. All right. <laughs> yeah, no, I think the we definitely brought up stuff about team context and whatnot. But I think as Matt talked about in his article, he brings enough of those high field traits that even in an elevated role, potentially in certain instances, he's going to be a winning player. And so I'd say I'd also go yes. Yeah, you guys are killing me with a tough one early. I'll go yes. I'll, okay. I'm going to join the crowd. A little group think. Okay. Jordan Hawkins. I go no. Yash, what do you do? <laughs> Jordan <laughs> Hawkins. Yeah, I don't know. I think I like a lot of people. I think New Orleans is ready to take that next step as they did last year. And Matt, I think the defense is going to be more relevant than maybe ever with Jordan Hawkins for him to get consistent rotation minutes. And so... I'm also leaning no on this one, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts. 
See, I think it's what's going to be big is Zion going to be healthy. Because if Zion's healthy, the need for a guy like that's going to improve. It's just this valve, this release valve for him. So if Zion's healthy, I think, yeah, I think he can make an immediate impact. And then it's just about how much he can stay as a neutral on defense, really. Yeah. We'll go Brandon Pajemski, Matt. You want to go first? Yes. Yep. Give it to me. Yeah, same here. I think all of us are in agreement here. Ooh, this is tough. Jaime Hawkins. Josh? I think Matt made a great case. He sold me on this one. Obviously, depending on role, but I think he fits the Heat culture. He embodies Heat culture. And if he stays in Miami Heat, I think he's going to be a contributor. Matt. Yeah, I think if he stays with Miami, it's going to be the big defining factor there. Yeah. Even if he's not on Miami, I can still envision him. Like, if he's on the Trailblazers. I just think it'd be a we Like, his style is a way you want to be on, like, a... He, like... He's, like, a win-now kind of player. I wouldn't yeah. see him on, like, a young, rebuilding team. I, just, I don't see how he would be very helpful there. Yeah. You can go Jairus Walker. Oof. This is tough. Man. I'm going to go... They just don't have anyone at the four, though, is the thing. Like, he, he fits a positional need for them. It's just his shooting to me, like... It's a little bit of a concern. If anyone else has a definitive answer, they can go ahead. Matt, do you have one? I don't have a definitive one. I'm leaning, I'm leaning yes, just because I think he's such a good defender already. He played, he got minutes at Houston. Like he got yeah. starter minutes at Houston and yeah. Coach Davidson does not mess around with that stuff. The only thing, it would be a slam dunk guess for me if I saw more from him in transition. If I knew he could run and gun up the floor with Therese, because I didn't, that really, that's one thing that didn't really pop for me, but I'm going to, I'm going to be like a, you know, I'll go yes, but it's very not confident. I'll go more definitive. Yes. I think I only watched limited sample of Jairus, but especially in Indiana, I think for what, I think they're just, they just had that culture of all their bigs, all their players are just second, a make or miss their boom shooting up the floor. And I think him being in that winning situation, I think he'll, he'll catch on to winning habits like that. And even with the aforementioned deficiencies, I think he just brings too many good traits to not be a contributor, especially in that system. So I'll, yeah. I'll go yes. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I just think he's too good of a player at this point to not be a yes that I would bet on. Let's go through these two pretty quick. Derek Lively. I'm going to go. I'm going to go no. It's just it's a tough bar. It's a tough bar for being a five in the NBA. Yeah, I'm no. I, he's more of a. He's from what I understand, he's more of a project, and he's so young. Um, I'm going to go no right now. Yeah. Same. Okay. Last guy, Brandon Miller. Oh, this one's really tough. Ooh. Because he's probably not going to start. The Hornets probably wanted to take a step up. That second unit, I just don't know how well that's going to fit around him. Does anyone else have a theory of the case yet? I'll start us off. I'll say yes. I think... Charlotte has creation, like for sure. Like Mosbridge is coming back to. They have guys that are going to handle sucking the defense, make plays. And again, shooting, number one skill. He's also straight line driving. He has, he's comfortable enough in space. I think in that aspect, he'll, he's already ready to be a contributor. And he, he's talented. I think he'll figure out a way to scrap through on-ball possessions. He might not be the most efficient, but looking at it overarchingly, I think he'll definitely be... I think being a positive contributor is actually really tough, especially with given his usage. But neutral, slight positive, I think I can see it in that environment. 
See, I'm just gonna. I don't know. I, I like my heart. Like if I don't, if he was the first person you asked me, I probably would have said yes. Now that I've said yes to so many of them, I feel like the whole point of this is that most of them are not supposed to be immediate. I don't know, man. I don't like this game. I'm gonna be honest. I don't like it. See, I could see. Okay, I, okay. How about this? I'll say this because I feel like it'll make me feel better. I think he'll be more of an immediate impact than Scoot Henderson this year. Ooh, um, I think it's gonna be a Keegan Murray, Jaden Ivy situation where everyone like kind of laughed at them. They're like, oh, huh? how could you possibly do this? Where I'm not saying that Keegan Murray has a is going to have a better career than Jaden Ivey or that Brandon Miller is going to have a better career than Scoot Henderson, but I think that Brandon Miller has a better chance of being an immediate impactor than Scoot Henderson, but that'll be where I leave it at. Yeah. I would bet on no, and we'll just leave it at, because I know, Matt, you got to head out right now. <laughs> Matt, go ahead. You can plug where you can get all your – people can see all your stuff. Yeah, just follow me on Twitter. I think that's the easiest way to get a glimpse of my work, but just follow me. It's at – M-A-T-I-S-S-A-15 on Twitter at M-A-T-I-S-S-A-15. And don't, please don't call it X. I refuse to call it X. <laughs> thank you guys so much for having me on. Yeah, of course, man. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Make sure to follow the Beyond the Arc podcast on any streaming platform and make sure to follow us on Twitter at Beyond the Arc 8. Thank you for listening.